Hi, I'm Andrew Sylvester. I'm one of the ministers here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. As we come to today's passage, we need to think of that question we've asked ourselves probably many times this last year. Should we be doomsday preppers? You know, those people who make survival bunkers to protect themselves against nuclear war or the government coming after them or even pandemics. These people who invest everything into their survival schemes. They hoard vast amounts of dried food and, of course, toilet paper. When every hope is taken away, these guys are prepared right, right? And with everything that's happened in 2020 and now the start of 2021, it sometimes feels like we should be doomsday preppers. These guys write an interesting narrative about why we need to be prepared how they are. These preppers, they find their greatest worth in their survival skills and in their bunkers. But after our collective experience in lockdown, do you really want to be a doomsday prepper? They always seem a little bit too crazy. It's comical listening to them passionately speaking about how amazing their bunkers are, how they will save them. We may not be doomsday preppers, but we all have our go-to, our way, when all hope seems lost. When we have our back against the wall, we all have our way out. That thing or relationship that we trust in most when we're in an impossible situation. We all put our hope in something. In today's passage, we're reading about David's impossible situation. He tells us plainly what his only hope is, where he finds comfort and assurance in that situation. As we read it, we read that he never seeks comfort in this world, nor even in the promises God gave him. God is his only hope. God is the only hope. We get this passage, the context of this passage, from 1 Samuel 24. Let me just update you about where that is in the story. David has been hiding from Saul in the furthest place away from civilization, in a desert fortress, a doomsday prepper's dream. But Saul gets news of a Philistine attack and he leaves David, thinking David is free to roam around, he goes to the only reliable water source within hundreds of kilometres. He is in survival mode. But Saul comes back when David isn't quite ready, and David and his men are trapped, hiding in a cave. Saul doesn't realise how close he is to David. Saul goes into what he thinks is a small cave to relieve himself after nature's called. But David is hiding in the back. And all David's men know that David has been anointed to be king. They are saying that God has given him this moment to be king, to go and kill Saul. But David will not lift his hand against Saul. That was not his tune. The tune of this psalm is that tune, Do Not Destroy. It's the first of three psalms with that tune. Psalm 58 and 59 after this have the same tune. This psalm is also a mictum. This is the second in this group of five mictums. There's only five, six mictums in all of the psalms, 
and five of them are right here. We don't know exactly what a mictum is. It seems to be a type of poem. Charles Spurgeon noticed that they all follow a similar path. They start with desperate prayers to God, please, seeking Him as the ultimate authority. And then they turn and sing with a holy confidence, assured in God's deliverance. The introduction already highlights that God is the only hope for David. He is the only assurance for him. We see that in the introduction. Let's read with me. For the director of music, to the tune of Do Not Destroy, of David, a mictum, when he had fled from Saul into the cave. In the midst of the cave that's protecting him, David reveals his heart, what he truly trusts in. Note, as we read this, he doesn't seek refuge in the cave, even though it's the last place he can go to. In Ein Gedi, he's pinned against the cliffs around him. There's extreme desert everywhere. But David's hope isn't remaining in this cave, staying hidden. He seeks refuge in God alone. You can imagine what it's like for him. He was stuck there, just like at Lord of the Rings, in that terrible scene at Helm's Deep, with thousands of warriors outside the entrance. It's his trap as much as it's a refuge. If you visit this place today, just a kilometre south, there's another place. It's known as the Cave of Horror. A similar standoff took place in that cave. Now, that cave is littered with the bones of dozens of men, women and children. But David is smart. David knows his hope isn't in the cave. David knows his only hope is God. David seeks refuge in God alone, as if God would cast his metaphorical wings of protection over him, taking the heat for him, hiding him from the disaster until it's passed. He is desperate, his plea for mercy, but he knows God will vindicate him because God is faithful to his promise. God loves him. He won't let him down. God has promised he would be king, the king over God's people. David knew he would be saved. He didn't know how it would happen, but he knew that God was truly his refuge, not the earthly place that God had given him. He would be delivered. Let's read his prayer and his confidence from verse 1. Let's read with me verse 1. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his love and his faithfulness. But David isn't there yet. He is stuck at the ends of the earth. He's stuck inside a cave and he can't get a moment's peace. His king wants him dead. His cousins, the Ziphites from a couple of weeks ago, they betrayed him. There was a city that he rescued, 
and they seek to hand him over. The enemy finds him and wants him dead. Remember from last week? And in this passage, he also talks about the people that he's been forced to be with, those who he must dwell amongst. 1 Samuel 22, and the rest of the story really, shows that they are a real motley crew. They are all bankrupt and rebellious. They keep trying to get him to change his tune. And their words are full of death. There is a fight everywhere he goes, amongst his family and even his closest friends. Everyone is attacking some part of him. But this is why what he says straight after that is the most peculiar thing. I had to think for quite a long time, why does David say this here? Why didn't he say something else? See, he doesn't wish to kill any of these people. Remember, that's his tune, even though they want to kill him. And he's not like the Americans today, you know, with those presidential candidates last year whinging about each other, saying, if only I was in control. David never says that, even though God had promised that he would be king. Even though that's God's promise. What David says there is the only thing he wants is for God to be controlled. He says, if only God was seen to be above everything, if only God's glory was known everywhere, then he would be okay. God is the only hope for David. Let's see how he describes his friends and his plea from verse 4. Read with me, verse 4. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Despite his surroundings, God is his only hope. In the desperate call to God, David, in the midst of this distress, trapped like an animal by Saul, is delivered. Saul was there. He was seeking to save his honour as king by trapping and killing David. But then he dishonours himself. He dishonours himself in the most comical way. Saul heads over to this cave with his shovel and toilet roll to, to save his honour, protect his honour among the people. He's not going to do this like anyone else. Yet in doing so, he's got with his pants down in front of David and all of his men. And David is rescued from his despair. God provided a way out for David. And David recognises he has been spared by God. He says in verse 6, They spread a net for my feet. I was bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my part, but they have fallen into it themselves. God was David's only hope here. But don't forget the tune. David doesn't want to destroy Saul. His men are begging him and urging him to do so. You know, they were all those 
corrupt men, those who had failed. And this was their big break, the thing they'd all been waiting for, the enemy squatting on the throne before them. But David won't have it. He is firm. He won't give in to them. He will not yield to this temptation because he was hoping in God alone. Not looking for an opportunity, he trusts in God. He won't kill the one that God has anointed. He's going to allow him to escape. And then he's going to go and proclaim to Saul and to God and all of these people what God had done. See, that's not how you play hide and seek, especially from those who want you dead. But he trusts in God alone. So he's going to go out of the cave and he's going to declare to all the peoples of the earth what God has done that he trusts in God. He's going to sing and make music and make sure that they all know that his trust is in the Lord, not in the cave, not in his rightful position as king, even though it was promised. God was the only hope for David, in God alone. Let's see that from verse 7. My heart, O God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. Awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaching to the skies. And the crazy thing is his plan worked. David came out of the cave just after Saul, and as he did... He declared to them all, declared to the thousands of warriors that he is David and that God had delivered him. Saul heard this message and he relented. He conceded that David would be the best king, that David truly cares about what God cares about. And thus, God delivered David from certain death. And therefore he sings that chorus again, praising God that he, God, may be glorified in all the earth. Let's read that in verse 11. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The first time he said that, it was a plea if only. The second time he says it with such confidence. David really lived according to the promise of God. He knew he would be king. He knew he would be delivered from the cave. But David wasn't the only king with a promise. He wasn't the only one delivered from the cave. You see, Jesus, he was the true king of Israel. He was also hunted by the people, hunted by the authorities. And it was promised to him that he would rescue his people that he would die and rise again. And though the authorities hunted him down, he knew the purposes of God. He knew that even though he died, he would be delivered from the cave, his tomb. And in Jesus rising from the dead in his cave, he brings a promise to all of us. As Jesus promised in the book of John, verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Death no longer has dominion over Jesus. 
And when he comes again, death will no longer have dominion over anyone who trusts in the Lord. God is the only hope. Through Jesus Christ alone, we have our only hope. When we read this psalm, we know we can be delivered from the cave too, when we trust in him. Even if we die and we're buried in a cave or a tomb or cremated, we know that God will deliver us. And if we're trapped at that point of death where there is no escape, just like David, we can cry out and be exalted. We can call out that God would be exalted above the heavens, that his glory would be over all the earth. So can you see what this psalm is saying? That God is the only hope, even in certain death. There's a funny thing about this story though, right? About this story with, with, with David and Saul. The funny thing is, they all thought that God was their hope. They all thought they were on his side. But very subtly, everyone had been deceived. Everyone but David, of course. You see, they had all put their hope in other things. David's men. Their hope became in David. In David being their king. They were very happy to kill Saul, killing God's anointed. Their hope wasn't in God. And Saul and his men, they were God's anointed king and God's army. And they were coming to kill a threat to their king. They were ready to kill David, who was also God's anointed. And they all ended up standing against God. So how can we be like David in this poem, who only trusts in God? There's three things. First, we need to think, we need to realise that there is no other hope. That our only hope can be in God. That God is the only hope. Second, we need to check our hearts to see if we've put our hope in other things, just like David's men, just like Saul and his men. And lastly, we need to focus our eyes on God alone. Firstly, there is no other hope but God. There is no other hope but God. So clear is it that even the late David Foster Wallace, an atheist, and a renowned novelist, recognise it in his most famous speech. He said, The compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type of thing to worship, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your body and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power, like Saul, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid. And you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect 
and you will end up feeling like a fraud, always being on the verge of being found out. But the insidious thing, he says, about these forms of worship is they're unconscious. They are our default settings. He's right when he notices this. We are all worshipping something, but we also don't recognise it. This brings me to my second point. The question, what is your hope in? What will really see you through? Did some of the things that David Foster Wallace, some of the things that he says, did they ring a chord in you like they did in me? Some of them hurt, didn't they? There is another way we can recognise what our hope is in. From this psalm, we, we heard what David's hope was in. When he was in distress, what he pleaded, his, his stress and his plea was that God would be glorified. It was as if he was saying, if only God was glorified. When you start the sentence, if only, how do you finish it? It's a small phrase, if only, and, and we use it all the time for such small, insignificant things. But, but it's saying, if this only, if only, if only this, everything would be solved. If only, only one. What's your if only? What do you say? Is it, if only I had more money? Don't you realise you're, you're putting your hope in those riches? You're thinking that if only I had the money, all your problems would go away. Those riches would save you from your situation. Or is it about relationships? Do you say, if only... I was married. Don't you realise you're putting all your hope in a marital status? You're saying, if only I was married. That if being married, if you were married, you'd have no more troubles? You should ask some married people about that one. Well, maybe it's a status thing. If only we had more respect. If only I had that promotion, a better car or a better house. We all say these if-onlys. But there's one if-only that I've heard very frequently in my role here. It says, If only my kids studied more. If only my kids focused on their schoolwork. If only my kids trained harder. If only my kids practised more. If only my kids were more organised. Do you realise the subtlety of what you're saying? Are you pinning your hopes on your kids? Are they what will deliver you? Are you making them your doomsday bunker, investing everything in them? This is just to be like those doomsday preppers. You see, doomsday preppers, they, they don't want if-onlys. They do everything they can to get them. And when we do that, when we do everything we can to get these worldly things, we've replaced God with the things of the world, these things 
that won't deliver. These things that will either destroy us, like David Foster Wallace was pointing at, or those things that will destroy them. Jesus addresses this prepper's attitude. He addresses it really clearly through his Sermon on the Mount. And we all have this in some way. Whether we're worried about the doomsday or we're just anxious about the future, we don't know what it's going to bring. And we're trying to get rid of these if-onlys. Jesus tells us, don't seek the things of this world. Don't value what's here, but value God. Value God in heaven above everything else, just like David did. And then your heart will be secure with him. He says this on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. It's on your slides there. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What then is your only hope? What are you saying if only to? Because when you're saying these if onlys, you're making them the most important thing for David. The only if only was that God was in control, that God was glorified, that God was exalted. Jesus, when he's preaching, he teaches us how we can actually do these things, how we can make sure we're not storing treasure on earth, we're not loading our children with our burdens, with our hope that they're going to deliver us from our troubles, with their good education, their good jobs and their successful lives. How do you put your hope in other things? How do you make sure you put your hope in Jesus? See, Jesus says we need to focus on him. We put our hope in him when we focus on him. And he's literally meaning focus with our eyes. The secret to following him, he's saying in in chapter 6 here, is the key to treasuring God comes from your eyes. And we're a very visual culture these days. We should understand what he's saying. See, everything we look at is pictures. Even our words now are pictures. We all speak emoji in our messages. But Jesus is saying our eyes are really powerful. To fix our eyes on Jesus, to look to him and his things, keeping our eyes focused on him, that will help us to store treasures in heaven to make sure, like David, our only hope is God. Let's read what he says, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. When Jesus says healthy, what he means by healthy is is this single-minded, this sincere, this altruistic focus just on God. Just like David had when he was singly focused on God in the midst of all his troubles. We need to keep our eyes on him. And this means don't let your eyes dwell on other things, on the other things of this world. 
Don't lust after them. Don't look after other things and covet other things and say, if only I had that, if only I had this. Keep your focus on God. Recognize, stop yourselves when you're saying, if only. And say to yourself, if only God was exalted, what would this situation look like? If only God was in control, how much better would this be? Keep your focus on Him and what He is doing on His purposes. We need to be saying, if only He was exalted. All those other things are good things. Money is great. It provides for our needs. But it's really God who provides the money, right? Relationships are good as well. Our children are such beautiful and precious things. But we can't make these things our hope. Worries are real. We need to make Jesus our hope in them. As Jesus concludes this section, this is what he's saying to us. It's also on your outline there. Verse 31. Verse 31. Jesus reminds us, he says, Do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given you as well. These worries that we have are real. It's normal for us to have these worries. But we can't let these worries be our hope. We can't let these worries be our only hope. We can't look to fulfill these things from the things of the world because God, he is our only hope. You see, when David was in that situation, because he continually had focus on God, because he was always focused on glorifying him, he didn't look to the cave to protect him. He didn't even look forward to the promise of the future. He looked to God. If we are focused like Dave is on God, on his glory, if that is our singular focus, We can pray like David, that God would be glorified throughout all the world. That whatever our situation is, whatever we're worried about, that God would be glorified. And we can know that when we pray this, that it's going to come true. That God would deliver us. That is why Jesus taught us to pray the way that he did. Have you ever noticed that David's prayer is just like Jesus' prayer, which is also in Matthew 6. Like Jesus' prayer, where he taught us how we need to pray to him. He taught us to pray the most important petition, the first one, that God would be hallowed, that he would be glorified, and that his kingdom would be everywhere, that he would be in control. We need to keep our focus on him. We need to keep our focus on him and pray like he did, just like he taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see how that's the same prayer that David's praying to? Let's come to God 
Let's come to God now in prayer in light of this text that we've read, in light of this passage that God has spoken to us. Let's ask him to forgive us for putting our if-onlys in other things and ask his help that we would put our hope in God alone. Let us pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, we pray that your name would be hallowed, that you would be glorified, that whatever our situation we're in, whatever we're in, we pray if only you would be glorified in it. Help us to follow you in this situation. Please be glorified. Deliver us from our troubles. Help us to put our trust in you. May your kingdom come, Lord. May your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Help us with your Holy Spirit to live as you've called us to and to put our hope in God alone for you are our only hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.